What's up everybody? Happy Tuesday. I hope you guys are having a strong start to your week. I know things are really intense out there. I'm definitely feeling it. The world seems to be on fire, literally and figuratively. And as always, I encourage you to find a way to be in your power. Because the world needs you right now. The world needs your positive energy. The world needs your smile. The world needs you. So, I'm not here necessarily to show you how to do it. But I'm here to let you know that you absolutely can do it. No matter what. So, today's episode, this is actually a bonus show. I had the pleasure of of getting on the horn with Danny Zetterman, who has an incredible podcast, The Armchair Nutritionist, available on all, all podcast platforms. I highly recommend it. He's got some tremendous guests on there, from Dave Asprey to my brother Aaron Alexander of the Align Podcast. Uh, he he does a great job of bringing real value and good content, a lot of knowledge and wisdom on his show, and uh, I was honored to be asked to join. Um, in this conversation, I talk about my path through football, the complete deconstruction of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually during my playing career, how I came out of that the tools I've used to reestablish myself in life after sports, meditation, my practice. I thought that, you know, it, it, it's a great opportunity for you guys to get another look at me and my story if you're interested in that. Um, it was a lot of fun, really interesting. I hope it shed some light on me, my story, and some some tools that I find very valuable, namely meditation, prayer, affirmation, how I think about the world, uh, especially in this crazy time. So I think you guys will enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. This is Danny Zetterman and the Armchair Nutritionist podcast found on all podcast platforms. You could check it out on his show or right here on the Ebb and Flow. Before I let you guys go, remember, head over to invadercoffee.com for the best coffee in the world. Use code the Ebb and Flow, all one word, to get 15% off your next order. Guys, I say it every week, but this coffee is awesome. It's organic, it's low acidity, it's veteran owned. It's fantastic, it's robust, it's flavorful, it's bold. It gets you the right kind of jacked, energized, uplifted, without all the jitters, and without that burning sensation in your gut. It's good coffee, very high quality. My brother Wes Whitlock is not fucking around. So head over to invadercoffee.com, use code... The Ebb and Flow to get 15% off your next order. And that is it, my friends. I hope you guys have an excellent day. This is one of two episodes released today. thought I'd give you guys a little bonus content. Lots of love to you all. Enjoy this episode. I'll see you on the flip side. Peace. 
the Armchair Nutritionist with Danny Zetterman. Better, happier, more productive. Welcome into the Armchair Nutritionist. I am the Armchair Nutritionist, Danny Zetterman. You can follow me on Twitter at DZetterman, and you can follow me on Instagram, IG Armchair Nutritionist. I am not a nutritionist or dietitian. I call myself the armchair nutritionist, similar to an armchair quarterback that watches the NFL games on Sunday and thinks they know how the game should be played. I have a degree in journalism, I'm a professional broadcaster, and I have a passion for health, nutrition, and fitness. In this day and age with the internet, websites, blogs, and podcasts, if you have a passion and a little drive, you can learn anything from the masters. And I think I've done a good job of educating myself on the subjects that excite me. I'm not here to teach you about health and fitness. I'm here to bring the experts to you to teach us about health and fitness so we can all learn a little something together. I ask the questions that interest me with the hope that you are interested as well. Consider this a Let's Get Healthy 101 class. My guest on this episode is really an inspirational dude. I discovered him on Instagram, loved his vibe, so I decided to dive in deeper. Eben Britton was an NFL player who hit rock bottom when his career ended. He was lost. He was depressed. He was angry. Today, he's a wellness expert. He's happy. He's balanced. He's a cannabis advocate, and he's a successful podcast host. In this conversation, we follow Eben's life path, and we learn how we can all be a little bit more balanced. If you want to follow Eben on Instagram, you can follow him at Ed's Britton. That's E-D-S-B-R-I-T-T-O-N. He's also on Twitter at Ed's Britton. And if you want to learn more about him, you can visit his website, EbenBritton.com. He also has a successful podcast, like I mentioned, which is called Eben Flow. You can find it anywhere where podcasts are found. And he hosts a podcast with Iron Mike Tyson called Hot Boxing. This podcast is incredible. Their guest list is off the chart. And it's really cool to see Iron Mike Tyson open up. You don't realize what an intellectual deep guy he is. I really enjoyed this conversation with Eben. It was deep. It was meaningful. It was impactful. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Eben, what's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Hey, my brother. I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I find you to be an incredibly intriguing guy. So my day job, I work at ESPN Radio. I'm all about sports right now. The NFL season is about to kick off. If you're listening to this in a week or so, the NFL season just kicked off. And, you know, you were a football player that put your body through that. But now, as a retired guy, you've taken a step back and you're very mindful and you're very complete. And you're it's, it's almost like you're 180 of what we expect a football player to be. Talk to me about your journey to go from where you were as a football player to where you are now and what got you interested in going that route. Yeah, man. Uh, great question. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously it's difficult to distill down your life path into a few sentences that make it all make sense, but you know, the long and the short of it was I had this dream when I was a very young kid to play professional football. I worked my ass off, you know, everything I did from the time I was 12 years old until I was drafted by the Jaguars in 2009 at the age of 21. 
everything I did every single day was en route to making it to the NFL. How I ate, how I trained, how I slept, how I carried myself, how I breathed. And this became my vision of my life. Um, and through that process of achieving that dream and then playing six years in the NFL, um, you, you know, and, and having this very large, this, this big life experience of playing football, the game I loved, and achieving my dream and playing at the highest level possible in the world, you know, I realized that I still was missing something. I was still, although I had achieved this dream, this childhood dream, I felt as though I still was trying to fill this hole in myself, this, this God-sized hole. You know, I had all the money you could have asked for. I had a beautiful home, the car, a beautiful family, uh, people who really loved me, and yet I was still unhappy because I was unhappy with myself, and I, I was never allowing myself to be enough for myself, and nothing I did was ever enough. And so things happened. Obviously, I got I, I dealt with the laundry list of injuries, like every single guy who who plays football does. Um, but around my sixth year, I felt incredibly disillusioned with the game. You know, the business of football had really taken a toll on me. I had become a veteran who had these lingering injuries that I could never quite get over the hump of. Uh, I had a disappointing last year in Jacksonville um, where I was benched midway through the year after not being able to heal an ankle injury. The team had been sold. There was a new head coach. There was a lot of weird energy. Our team was terrible. So I went into my free agency with not much, <laughs> not much to show for it. Um, so I, I got picked up by the Bears, and I, it was it was a very lucky experience for me to get picked up by the Bears because I was ready to be done with football after my fourth year in Jacksonville. You know, I, I remember having conversations with my what, with my wife, with my dad, with some of my, my closer teammates in Jacksonville saying, I think I was ready to be done. And it wasn't until I had this conversation with Brad Meester, who at the time was a 10-year veteran. He went on to play 14 years all in Jacksonville. And he said to me, Ed, I can't tell you how every single year I contemplate what I'm doing here and if I'm going to go back. Uh, and I give it a shot and, you know, one year at a time, it turns out I, I got a little more juice to give to this thing. And he said, you know, maybe you get picked up by a team and you fall in love with football again. And you remember why you love playing this game and you have fun again, or you get picked up by a team and you realize that you did give it all you had and enough is enough. So I took that advice. I got a couple workouts. Uh, I went and worked out for the Seahawks. I went, they, I wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great workout. I wasn't in a great place. Uh, they said they'd be in contact with me. I flew back to Jacksonville the next day. I flew to Chicago for another workout. Um, I had a much better workout. There's better energy there. I fell in love with the city. They wanted to sign me, so there I am, and 
I've fallen back in love with football, and now I don't have this pressure of being a starter. I ended up having a tremendous year that first year as the swing tackle and uh, monster tight end. Come in 20 to 30 plays a game, dominate. Uh, The Tribune actually wrote this great article about me. Uh, Every time I came into the game, the offense, the percentages of production went up significantly. So I felt really good about that. And I love the team. I love the coaches. But then coming back for that second year, it felt like it was back to the same. You know, and some other things happened. My appendix exploded during the bye week. I had to have emergency an emergency appendectomy Um, in Los Angeles, having come home during the bye week to have my jersey retired at my high school, (laughs) and uh, that ended in me in the emergency room getting my appendix removed. That was ruptured and spewing toxic substances all over my innards. So I came back to Chicago and I had actually been cut going into or at the end of training camp that second year in Chicago. And I was totally, I was completely devastated. And once again, you know, I had felt myself, I had slipped into this family feeling that I had fallen so much in love with in football. You know, these were my brothers. The coaches were my father figures, my, you know, my leaders, my heroes, for lack of a better, uh, you know, idea of what they were, a metaphor for who these people were in my life. I, I gave everything I had, every ounce of energy, every ounce of my attention to the game of football and to the teams I was a part of. And so, the business of football was really devastating for me when I started to come, uh, you know, when I started to deal with these various injuries, my back injury, shoulder injury. Um, and then even in Chicago, I blew out my hamstring in the second week of training camp, which led to me not getting enough reps, which then led to me getting cut, uh, at the end of training camp. And I just felt like I felt completely disillusioned by it. You know, I felt as though uh, I I wasn't, you know, as much pain as I was pushing myself through and enduring to give it everything I had on the football field. I didn't feel as though anyone really gave a shit, you know, coaches in, in particular. And of course they don't. This is a business. You know, they're looking for the next guy to step up to get the job done. And if you spend too much time dealing with injuries and recovering from injuries and not being able to play, they don't have much use for you. So, and that's all good. That was part of my process, but that really led me to my disillusionment with the game, which led me to knowing I was done after that second year in Chicago. So my football career ends and I'm at one of the lowest points in my life. Uh, depressed, full of anxiety, not sure who I am, what I'm doing with my life. There's a lot of guilt and shame enmeshed in that experience that I do enough. Every conversation I have with people outside at this stage, you know, having just made the decision to retire, say, well, you're so young. Why did you, why are you done playing? And I'm just, you know, I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm just, other than I can't do it anymore. You know, my body is 
I've put my body through hell. Um, and I don't feel as though I have much to show for it. I'm not sure I played long enough. You know, I came into my NFL career as a rookie thinking I'll get 10 years. And, um, you know, I made it six. And so there's all these lingering emotions of shame was the big one, shame and guilt. And then to compound that, I had around my second year out, you know, my God bless my wife. uh, When I made the decision to retire, I'd always had this underlying passion of being a writer. And when I'm done playing football, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write books. I'm going to tell stories. I just, I love the idea of telling stories, being a storyteller and, and, helping people see life from new perspectives. So as soon as I made the decision to retire and talk to my wife about it, she said, well, now's the time to write your book. So I get into that, but it's obviously, it's not that simple. You know, you're, you're going from having had an itinerary to map out every moment of your day from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. And you come home and you run ragged and completely exhausted. And all you basically have energy for is to eat and go to sleep. So now I have an entire day and I, and I was in complete chaos. You know, and this is, this is where my new life path emerged. I was in complete chaos. My life had become completely unmanageable. I had no idea how to function in the real world, you know, my relationships were suffering tremendously. My marriage was, uh, suffering tremendously. Um, you know, my wife and I couldn't communicate. I couldn't communicate. I had no communication skills. I had no idea how to relate to anyone because I had completely lost my sense of identity and who I was. And, you know, up until that point, my life, every relationship in my life had been structured around me being a professional football player. And every time I came home or was around friends, it was always, you know, people respected that and people had a, uh, a way of treating me, you know, give up his space, give up his space. He's recovering from practice or give up his space. He's getting ready for a game or, Ed needs to go do this, et cetera, et cetera. Now I no longer have any of that. Now I'm just a normal guy. And that cloak of recognition, that cloak of, of armor, of, you know, warriorhood was completely evaporated. And here I am and I feel so helpless and um, confused and depressed and full of grief and guilt and shame and all this shit. And, It basically, the final rocket launching platform that I found myself on, which sent me into this process of having to start acknowledging myself and acknowledging the truth of who I am and what my purpose in life after football is, was a horrific fight with my wife where I basically you know, I I was, I basically said, I'm going to kill myself 
or I'm going to kill someone. And I just completely lost it. Um, that led me into support groups, men's support groups in particular, where I began to build a vocabulary around this. After that fight, my, my wife, God bless her, she went to my mother and said, I just don't know what to do with this guy anymore. And uh, thankfully, my mother had some tools for getting me, or at least to point me in the right direction of being able to get back on my feet. And that began with these support groups. Um, and so got into these support groups, and I started building a vocabulary around this life that I had created around myself based on very old programming. You know, I come from a family that's very heavily affected by the disease of alcoholism, depression, anxiety. Um, and so, well, we don't realize what I hadn't realized is how much of my childhood I was carrying around with me at all times. And that was one of the reasons for my entire football career. You know, as a warrior on the football field, that became my platform to make the world realize how big and tough I was and to show people how much I was to be feared because I was coming from this place of being a very scared little boy who was angry about the fact that, you know, his parents were divorced when he was seven and he felt incredibly alone for most of his life and had to become the alpha male way too young. And I had to take on all the responsibilities of, being the glue of my family at, at the age of eight years old. And there was physical abuse and verbal abuse and um, a lot of confusion and a lot of darkness throughout my childhood. And my football career became this vehicle for me to transcend that and for me to show the world how much I was to be feared and how much I was to be respected. And I carried all this shit around and it, it was affecting Myself is affecting my relationship with my wife and my daughter and my family. And when I began to break all of that down, it opened the door for me to start healing myself and recovering myself. And that led me into meditation, plant medicine, uh, really living this life of with a deep connection to spirit into this higher power that's been guiding me since day one, you know, as part of, um, you know, my higher self spirit, the universe, whatever you want to call it, God has been guiding me from the time I was a child, you know, and that was what really kept me from going over the edge and losing it all. Like we hear about so, so often, you know, playing football, you know, in this past that I've been on, Guys come out of their football career completely wrecked and devastated emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And there's not much guidance and there's not much assistance from the NFL or the NFLPA in reimagining or recreating your life after football. You know, the money is gone. The accolades are gone. The recognition is gone. 
you know, football in particular, because we're covered in helmets and masks and all this armor. So we don't have the same sort of potential uh, outside of guys. You know, the superstar players obviously have much more opportunity in life after sports to sort of transcend their athletic career into entertainment or broadcasting or whatever it might be. But for guys who aren't interested in that, it's very difficult to figure out what the next step is when you come out of this life that's been so fueled by adrenaline and cortisol, these fight or flight uh, nervous system states of being. And now you've got to come into civilization and just be a normal guy. You have to figure out, what do I like? Who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, and you haven't, because of the, because of the nature of a, a professional, the nature and the trajectory of a professional athlete's career, you aren't, you aren't given the opportunity to learn some of the, the hard lessons about life tools that most people are given in their young adulthood, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's that, there's so much to digest there that in your life story of where you went from a young boy until the place you are now where you're mindful, you're at peace with yourself, you have a sense of self. I know, you know, working in, in the business of sports broadcasting, I know a lot of football players and former football players, and a lot of times being a football player is their identity. And I would assume yeah. one of the biggest fears for you when it came time to retire and you knew that your career wouldn't go on anymore is I'm now losing my identity. I am not the football player. I now have to be Eben Britton. And I have to realize I have to come to terms with who I am. And a lot of times you guys don't know who you are because, like you said, your day is so packed with football and schedules and mandatory meetings and workouts. And they tell you what to eat and how to sleep and where to go that the whole idea of just being free to be you could be a daunting task. Oh, my God. Absolutely, man. And the interesting thing, Danny, is that, you know, I having always having this from about the time I was a sophomore in high school. I had this idea that I was going to be a writer in my life after football. And so it was interesting for me through that experience, because I thought that I was one of those guys who hadn't fully identified himself as a football player. And I thought that I was going to have a, at least a smoother transition into my next career because I knew what I wanted to do. And yet it was still excruciatingly painful and difficult. And, you know, just because you have an idea of what you want to do doesn't even necessarily mean that's the thing that's now you want to do in your life after your first career. I would, you know, and so I would assume what's ahead. also incredibly painful about it is that your identity as a football player was something you loved. You know, a lot of people have jobs that they fucking hate. You know, they go to the right, office every right. day and they're fucking <laughs> miserable. And this guy's identity is the guy who his identity is the guy who sorts mail at the post office. Well, that's not an identity he wants. But to ha to have a childhood dream, right. I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm going to play football on the biggest stage in front of millions of people. And then you achieve it. So not only is football your identity, but it's something you love. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So you said a few things that I want to talk about because what when I when I first saw you, I, I follow you on Instagram. I follow you on Twitter. I love your website. It's ebonbritton.com. You've got a great podcast, Ebon Flow, and you talk about mindfulness. And you're very at peace with yourself. And what, what drew me to you is I'm a person that's not so at peace with myself. I, I, I'm, I'm anxious. Like one thing you said that I wrote down is nothing you did was ever good enough. And I always feel that. Like no matter what success yeah. I have, no matter what I do, it wasn't enough. If I Today when we get done with this podcast, I'm going to go for a run. If I run eight miles, I'm going to be like, fucking A, I should have run nine miles. And I'm never satisfied or happy. My wife calls yeah. me a tortured soul. And, and what I got from you is there was a point in your life where you were like that. But it seems now from following you on Instagram and reading your website, listening to your podcast, that you're much more at peace for yourself. Now, I'm not telling you to solve my problems or solve all our listeners' problems, <laughs> but solve my problems. Like, how do I get there? <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because, like, you sound like a guy that had been through so much and you came out on the other end a better man with some wisdom. Yeah, man. Well, you know, first of all, I appreciate you saying that, but the process is also never ending. And, uh, you know, I have definitely found peace. That is for sure. Um, you know, meditating, and I, I know that this is something that we hear all the time. Or, or at least if you're, in, if you're into wellness and you're into health and mindfulness or mental health, you hear it a lot. But the key is honestly, at least the key for me was meditation. And, um, you know, when you allow yourself, because a lot of this, Danny, a lot of these issues that we find ourselves in, these predicaments of the human experience in 2020, they are based on conditioning that really has nothing to do with us. You know, it's things your parents said to you. It's things you saw when you were in school. It's things you learned when you were a kid. It's societal conditioning it's things that we see on TV, it's marketing. And it creates, we, beca we begin to live our lives through the lens of these beliefs and perspectives about ourselves and about the world around us. And, you know, one of these ideas, one of these predicaments of maybe in particular the American human experience is that we're programmed and conditioned to believe that if we're not making enough money or don't have the right car or don't have a big enough house or don't have X, Y, Z, the right relationship, the right partner, et cetera, we're not, we're not succeeding in life. We're not fulfilling our purpose as good Americans, as a good, successful human. And these are all false narratives that we've, taken on ourselves and every one of us it's an absolute miracle to just be born into this world to exist and to wake up every day and to breathe fresh air and to be able to feel the sun on your skin and to be able to interact with other human beings and 
have a relationship with your family. Like these are miracles of life that we've been really disillusioned to by the materialist view of life, which is basically to survive and reproduce and and consume. And so meditation and other tools like plant medicine, they allow us to begin to dissolve all of these beliefs and these limitations that we carry around. And once you start to do that, little by little, you start to find peace. And especially with meditation, because I'm listening. I, I love this guy, Osho. Have you ever heard of Osho? Yeah. Uh, there's a, For your listeners, I, I'm sure you've got some really cool guests on your pod. So I'm sure your listeners are probably pretty hip to the documentary Wild Wild Country on Netflix that was about Osho and this, this mini civilization he and his followers set up in this small Oregon town. And it's a wild documentary. It's, it's a beautifully done documentary, I have to say. But the, the, it, my issue with it is that it doesn't really come across how profound of a thinker and a, and a mystic Osho truly was. But I'm, I was listening to this talk. He gave uh, just a minute ago before getting on this podcast with you, and he's talking about how meditation is a science that's been proven again and again because you've never had anyone go into meditation who you go into the infinity of your interiority, of your internal life. And no one has ever come out of that experience wanting more. You've never come out, you've never seen, uh, you know, disgruntled customers who have come to the world of meditation. And it's because once you start to go in, into yourself and you begin to dismantle these structures and the scaffolding that holds up your belief system about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing, you get to the level of just being. And that's really what we're striving for here. Because if you can get to the level of just being, you get to the core essence of who you are. You get to the core essence of your purpose on this planet. Because just like the leaves on a tree, us human beings, we are aspects of this universe, of the totality of this experience that's happening all around us. And we have a very, very unique and profound purpose, all of us, every single particle just like every single particle of your body. And so meditation really taps you into that because we start to dissolve all of these ideas we have about ourselves and we let go. We're able to let go of the things that we come to believe about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act. And only then can you really start to get to the juice of life because otherwise it's just this perpetual consumption and striving and working towards something that really isn't going to fulfill us at the end of the day. You know, it was one of the profound lessons of my NFL experience. I expected that when I achieved, when I reached the top of this mountain, that was the NFL, that was my football career. When I reached the top of this mountain, my whole, I would be fulfilled. I would be made whole. I would find Elysium and peace, but that didn't happen. 
that didn't happen because I didn't allow myself. It was never going to be enough that way. You know, you can never achieve enough. You can never consume enough to fill the hole in yourself if you are, if it's never enough for you and for yourself. So I don't know if that made sense, but, you know, it, it begins, it's a very slow process. What? You know, but if you're willing, just like anything else, like going into the gym, if you're willing to give yourself five minutes every morning to start meditating, that will be a difference maker in beginning to shift your perspective out of this, these old, this old conditioning. What does meditation look like for you? Like for me, like you could tell me to go in the gym and do pull-ups and I can do pull-ups. Whether I can do as many as you, that's based on my strength. I get it. But there's a specific way to do pull-ups that I can understand. Uh-huh. I can follow directions. When someone tells me to meditate, if I sit in a room with my eyes closed and I just breathe, my mind races about all the bullshit that's going on in the world or whatever <laughs> I woke up that's pissing me off because, you know, you wake up and you got a chip on your shoulder. Or I'll fall asleep. Like, I I can't find that place where I can get, like, so what is meditation to you? Uh, Well, it starts with that, man. It starts with sitting, sitting in a chair with my back straight, and I just begin to breathe. And I just, I close my eyes, and I just begin to breathe in and out through my nose. I might give myself three to five breaths where I take a deep breath in my nose. And then at the top, I just let it all out with a sigh, like, <sighs> and you just let all that tension out. You might have some tension in your chest and your neck and your gut and your shoulders, wherever it might be. And on that sigh, on that exhale, you just let it all out and you can almost shake it all out. So you get your physical body, you start to get your physical body integrated into the meditation and you start to bring it into focus and attention. And so slowly but surely, you just start to breathe in and out through your nose and just just let it happen. Just let your breath happen as it will. You breathe in through your nose. Imagine the air filling your belly up. So you're breathing in through your nose, filling your entire torso, filling up your belly, and then you exhale out through your nose. And you just let it go and you let your breath ride. And the interesting thing is, Danny, because this is a natural part of our brain. Our brain is wired to constantly be figuring shit out. And our brain is wired to be constantly moving and thinking and observing and analyzing information and taking in data and figuring out if we're going to be safe, if we need to be in fear, whatever needs to happen for us to stay alive that day or for us to quote unquote, be successful that day. So of course your mind is going to race. It's going to run from one thing to the next. It's a lot of fun to think the brain is built that way. It's built to think, but so the practice of meditation. So you talk about, I love that analogy because I was talking to my brother about this as athletes. I was the same way. You know, I wanted to come into meditation because for years I would watch my brother meditate. and He'd say, Ed, you should try meditating. And I'd say, ah, fuck that, man. I can't do it. I don't have time. I don't have time. I can't do that shit. That's me. (laughs) Uh, Hey, man, I feel you. I know how it is. 
you know, and you're not alone either. Um, so you're in the process of meditating, right? And you're, you're just, you're allowing your breath to happen. And here come the thoughts. Here comes the, the trains of thought. And there's no escaping this. This is what happens. This is what our brain does. There's never a time you, you can meditate for a thousand years and you will still have thoughts come into your mind. There's no controlling your thoughts. Do you ever control your thoughts? No. Like where do thoughts even come from? They, they come, they materialize out of nowhere. Thoughts are literally uncontrollable. They're part of our, it's why they call it the stream of consciousness because it's just always flowing. So you, you settle into your breath, you're sitting there breathing and here come the thoughts. Okay, here come the thoughts. And you just acknowledge the thoughts and you let the thoughts come. And every time your mind, you find yourself veering off, jumping onto and latching onto a thought train, you say, okay, I'll leave that for next time. Then I come back to my breath. And it'll happen again. And here you go again. Your, your mind drifts off and you wander into a stream of thought. And then once again, you just bring yourself, you bring your attention back to your breath. And you might do this a thousand times every 30 seconds for five minutes. It doesn't matter. That's the training. That's the pull-ups you're doing. Those are the mind pull-ups. Every time your mind veers off to the breath, just bring your attention or your mind veers off into a thought. Just bring your attention back to the breath and focus on your breath again. There it goes again. The, thought, the thoughts come, you latch onto a thought and you, you wind out. You might forget. You might completely forget. You might go down this whole train of thought about your day and what it's going to be like and what that meeting is going to be and how that podcast is going to go and what this conversation is going to sound like. Oh, wait, I'm meditating. Oh, I come right back to my breath. And you just keep doing that, man. And those are your reps. Those are your pull-up bar reps. So that's called mindfulness meditation. Now, there's a ton of great apps out there as well where you can do guided meditations. And guided meditations and visualization meditations, I think, are also great tools for athletes. That's kind of how I got started. Um this therapist I was seeing recommended this app called Stop, Breathe, Think. And it's, it's a tremendous app. I recommend it to everyone who asks me if there's an app out there to um, start meditating. And they have just very simple guided meditations on everything from compassion, anxiety reduction, joy. And they'll take you through a little visualization practice. So that's another way to do it, where you actually just sit there and you let somebody talk to you and just follow the instructions. And that's very helpful to get started. Another way to meditate, one of my favorite ways these days, I do mostly mindfulness meditation. I'll just sit, I'll set a timer for 30 minutes and I'll just sit and focus on my breath and then I'll incorporate little visualization techniques here and there. Um, for one in particular, lately, I've been imagining a, a fire burning in my solar plexus. And I just imagine with every breath that this fire is growing inside of me and in, in the core of my being. And it's incredibly powerful. And you start to imagine your entire body is light. And if, when you do that, it really brings into focus this 
sensation of connection and oneness and wholeness and 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 burning away and and the literal uh, metaphor of burning away your attachments to things. So that's another practice I do. But then also one of my favorite techniques is just listening. So you're sitting there, you're you're letting your breath happen. And then as if you just put headphones on, you imagine putting some, some imaginary headphones on over your ears, and you just start to listen to the room around you. And you, you, almost, you can start to feel and sense that the, the hum of vibrations, it's just happening and all around you. And then you begin to realize that not only are you hearing what's happening outside, but you can also, ha- you can also when you tune in deep enough, you can actually hear your nervous system humming and your own system running and your heart beating. And then the thoughts start to flow as well. And you realize that everything is happening at once. And you just settle into the wholeness of the experience, which is life, which is all of this vibration and happening, all happening at once. So those are some of the tools I use. Um, For me, the best place to begin for beginners is set a timer. Start with two minutes will be beneficial. If you give yourself two minutes of peace to just focus on your breath and do that technique, focus on your breath. When you start to travel off and drift off on a thought, you just bring it right back to the breath. And you do that over and over again. And that is the training. This is training your concentration and your focus. It's to not be consumed and taken over by your thoughts. Because at the end of the day, Danny, we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. Our thoughts are generated from somewhere in the deep beyond that really has nothing to do with the core essence of who we are and what we're doing here. Yeah, I think that's an important important point you make because I think a lot of us, and I'm very guilty of it also, a lot of times we think that what we think is exactly who and what we are. These are my thoughts. This is how I feel today about myself or about this person or about this situation. So it must be so. And it's it's important to be able to differentiate. Just because it goes through your mind doesn't make it reality. That's exactly right, man. We have a big issue with that right now in this in the world, you know, in social media and everything that's happening with the pandemic and politics and race and everything that's happening. We have a we have a major issue of personalization and ego driven communication, which inhibits our ability to connect because it's all about our righteousness and being on the on the side of truth. And in most of the situations that we are being confronted with right now, it's very difficult to discern what the truth actually is, because we're seeing very small windows of information, very small bits and, and, and snippets of what's happening out there in the world. So it's difficult to come to a place. It's one of the issues with technology. It's difficult to figure out where are my feet on the ground? What is the reality of the, of the world that I live in? And social media sort of, social media and technology in particular, they, they take the ground from under our feet so that we're not sure where it 
it is that we can relate from. So meditation to me is a way out of that, is one of the tools for us to transcend this, this current psychological predicament, psychological and spiritual predicament we're in. Yeah, I've, I've been meaning to start meditating for a while now, and I'm going to try exactly what you're talking about. Tomorrow, set a timer, two minutes, just deep breathing in my nose, and, and to hear that it's okay that your mind's going to go places, but the key is to just try to bring it back to center. I'm going to give it a try. I know how many people praise meditation for helping them get to a more enlightened place, and that's what we're all looking for. I mean, that's the point of this podcast. That's the point of your podcast, Ebb and Flow. It's to help people get more optimized. You've mentioned a bunch of times in this conversation plant medicine. I know you're a big advocate for cannabis and cannabis use. You have an organization you started called Athletes for Care. Where along your journey did you come in contact with the plant medicines, and how do you use them to benefit you, and how did you know that they would benefit you? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, cannabis, for one, was very intuitive. I used it very intuitively throughout my football career, you know, where the pills, the opiates, and the prescription anti-inflammatories were wreaked havoc on my body and mind, my system. Um, cannabis was always something that I could use and get a good night's sleep. I could always use and I'd wake up feeling recovered and rejuvenated, ready for another day of the grind. So cannabis was sort of the, the beginning of that. And cannabis really is a, it's a fundamental uh, aspect of the plant medicine realm. You know, we have an endocannabinoid system in our body that produces endogenous cannabinoids, the same chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant. And this system that we all contain, that all living creatures actually contain, is responsible for keeping us in homeostasis or hormonal balance. Um, so that was, that was very fundamental. And that uh, very organically, I fell into cannabis advocacy coming out of my football career. I mean, I would have to say that was, you know, one of my, the saving grace of my life after football was having cannabis advocacy to jump into and to begin my life or creating or, uh, yeah, cultivating my life after sports because I had something that I was very passionate about that. I could speak on and start start to unravel my story with. Um, and for those of you out there who don't understand why cannabis would be important for football players, our federal government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, patent 6,630,507. You can go look it up our federal government has seen through scientific studies that the chemical compounds cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant actually help the brain heal from trauma and can help, the, help protect the brain before trauma occurs. So with concussions and CTE being massively um, prolific issues that affect football players of all ages, Cannabis seems to be really the only scientifically proven solution to brain trauma and the resulting CTE. So part of my mission in life after football became 
spreading this information and this knowledge and this understanding so that the NFL would remove cannabis from its banned substance list, which I believe in this last CBA, something to that effect has occurred. Am I correct? Yeah, it's it's been a hot topic, and, and the commissioner's actually loosening his stance on marijuana. I mean, everybody knows what an amazing painkiller it is and so, how much healthier it is for the body than the painkillers that they hand out. You know, I play, I, I work here at ESPN Radio in Chicago, and one of the guys I worked with was a Jaguar for a long time, John Yurkovich. We call him Yurko. And, I um, love it. Yeah, he, <laughs> and he played for the Green Bay Packers, when Brett Favre was the star quarterback. The year before they won the Super Bowl, and Yurko tells the story, they would get on the plane, and the team doctors would hand them a bag of painkillers. And Yurko would basically collect his painkillers because he's very smart with the human body. I always call him like a doctor. And he would collect his, and he would give his to Favre. So, you know, Favre has that story about how he was addicted to painkillers. He was addicted to Yurko's painkillers, but the team was just handing them out like candy. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, cannabis, marijuana is is so much better and so much healthier for the system. Yes, it's just a it's overall and it's a preventative. And, you know, there's there's a number of reasons why it's just a, a much safer alternative. And it'll it'll lead to healthier players leaving the league. So what my belief, what besides for football players? So for the everyday guy and gal listening to us right now. What are the benefits of cannabis, and, and how do you consume it? Are you smoking it? Because a lot of people, especially now, unfortunately, with COVID, we're constantly uh, thinking about things we inhale into our lungs. How do you consume it, and what are the benefits that an everyday person would get? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I personally, I enjoy smoking it, and uh, there's a lot of – I'm not going to advocate or tell anyone that they should be smoking cannabis <laughs> but it's definitely my preferred uh method of consumption is there uh, a, ben- a number is there a benefit from the smoke they're actually in yes inhaling the smoke of cannabis it's in my understanding not only, and I'll, I'll tell you about some current COVID information that's come out, some research on cannabis and COVID, because actually through the ebb and flow, I've started a mini series breaking down cannabis and COVID. There's been a number of research institutes and initiatives launched to examine cannabis as a preventative and medicine for treating COVID patients. Um, but so there's a number of theories. I mean, for one, it's very antiviral, antifungal, uh, cannabis, smoking cannabis is nothing like smoking tobacco, which leads to lung cancer, respiratory illnesses, et cetera, which even, (laughs) even in the studies done on China and COVID and France and COVID, the number of hospitalized COVID patients, a very, very small percentage of those were actually smokers. In fact, in some instances, smokers were the least affected people of the coronavirus, which is very strange. That's interesting. And Yeah, and some there's, there's a number of research studies happening right now to see if it's perhaps 
the nicotine that protects the lung cells from COVID uh, molecules attaching, et cetera. But with cannabis in particular, when, and, and this is to me, because they're doing a lot of studies on how CBD is, it inhibits the expression of this ACE2 gene or transmitter that is one of the issues that happens in the people who have very severe COVID symptoms. It's this ACE2 gene that starts expressing in the lungs in particular. And so CBD, it goes into the lungs and it blocks this ACE2 from expressing, which inhibits this cytokine storm, which is what they're saying is leading to all the deaths. This, this, it's an extreme expression of antibodies that ends up overwhelming your system and killing you. And the ACE2 gene is, is the main issue or main component of that process. And CBD in particular is found to inhibit it or nullify it, negate it, block it from being able to express itself. So, I'm not sure in these research studies, they don't go into how it's being introduced, but I would imagine that if you want to get the most potent effect of CBD in your lungs, you would have to inhale it in some form or another. So that being said, cannabis for the layman is, can be extremely beneficial uh, as a de-stressor as a uh, anti-inflammatory, you know, we're, we're in constant, um, in, in industrial America with everyone working and doing a million things at once these days, it seems like most people are working more than one job. You're, you're incredibly stressed out and worn out and your hormonal system is in complete chaos because of all the toxins in our foods and pesticides and the toxins in the air and everything else that we're inhaling and plastic and all this shit. So our bodies are in dire need of something to come and to restore balance. Now, cannabis, the endocannabinoid system that we all have, is responsible for how we feel and deal with pain, our mood, our appetite, our sleep rhythms, and our reproduction processes. So cannabis can help come and facilitate bringing homeostasis hormonal balance into the body. Now, hormonal balance is important because when your hormones get out of whack, that's when we start to get imbalances in our body. Things start to break down. We start to build up inflammation. Um, and inflammation and stress in particular is a, is a heavy, heavy um, exacerbator of inflammation. We start to experience things like chronic fatigue syndrome, depression, anxiety. We're stuck in the sympathetic nervous state, which is fight or flight. It becomes difficult to sleep and rest and recover. And so cannabis can help restore balance in all of these areas. And one in particular, if, if nothing else, cannabis will, will, without a doubt, help you get a better night's sleep than without it. If you're someone who has difficulty sleeping, 
cannabis is a tremendous remedy for getting sleep. And sleep is one of the most important aspects of our recovery process. Yeah, I can I can speak I can speak to the sleep because I started taking some um it's a CBD THC oil that I take before bed every night. And I'm telling you, since I started taking it, I normally would wake up six, seven times a night just tossing and turning. Now I can basically sleep through the night. And that's I, beautiful, I, man. And that's that's what I'm talking about. I want to get into smoking it, but like here's the thing. You've mentioned anxiety and depression. I find, and this goes back to, I haven't smoked marijuana in a long time. And it goes back to my days of when I did smoke it, it used to make me feel more anxious or feel more paranoid. Like, is yeah. there is there a strain that you smoke that's more relaxing? Like, I try uh, I tried an indica edible. I'll eat edibles. And I tried an indica edible, and that made me feel anxious. And But if I try a sativa, no, sativa made me feel anxious. Indica made me feel tired. Like, is there a strain uh, that you take that just makes you feel good? Yes, and the the thing with that, Danny, is that everyone's system is different. And um, one of the answers to this conundrum, because this is something that a lot of people deal with, and it has to do with your genetics and your DNA and how your system interacts with cannabis. So it's incredibly important that you seek out the proper strains or that you give it time to figure out what the right strain is for you. And and that is not only about THC and CBD content. There's over 170 different cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. And they all come in various ratios. But then on top of that, you've also got these things called terpenes. And the terpenes are sort of the the finer essences that give the plant its flavor. There are also antioxidants and flavonoids that uh, do various things in your body. For instance, pinene is one. And pinene is a terpene that is available in the ambient air. It's the reason why when you walk into a forest and you feel that, overwhelming sense of calm and peace and serenity when you're in a forest because you're breathing in this pinene and pinene is found very heavily in one of my favorite strains, which is called Jack Herrera. Jack Herrera was also one of the early revolutionaries of the cannabis movement, um, a pioneer in you know, advocacy and leading and activism to get cannabis to where it is today, honestly. And so he has a strain named after him, which is my favorite strain. And it seems to be a great strain for football players in particular, this combination of cerebral focus and peace and also a nice pain relieving sensation in the body. Um, I have a friend here in Los Angeles. I'm going to, I'm going to give him a shout out because if you're really serious and you don't want to screw around with, you know, buying or trying to find various uh, cannabis strains or, you know, trying it out and just going trial and error, my buddy, his name is Len May. He has a fantastic company called Endocana Health where they do DNA tests to match your DNA with the proper cannabis strains. And they can tell you exactly why 
Danny, for instance, when you consume this, you feel more anxious. And there's a very good reason for that, because something in your genetic sequencing doesn't like what's happening with when cannabis comes into it. And that's common. There's a lot of people who have various issues like that. I myself, I need to stay away from various terpenes because they can actually make me more depressed and feel much more low than I want to be. So if you're really interested in getting serious and pinpointing exactly what it is that you need to use and you don't want to do the trial and error route, because at the end of the day, that's why cannabis has been so uh, such a reluctant um, figure in pharmaceuticals is because the pharmaceutical industry likes to take one, one molecule to treat one very specific issue. Cannabis is a spectrum, a kaleidoscope of molecules that affect a kaleidoscope of issues in the body. And so it can be, it, it does take some, an adventurous heart and a little bit of trial and error to find out what works best for you. That sounds incredibly interesting. Len May, I'm, I, I just Googled it while you were talking about it. I'm going to get on there as soon as you and I finish having a conversation today. I mean, because yeah, it's, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I stopped drinking. I don't like the way that drinking makes me feel in my body. I'm, I'm still Agreed, an athlete. Man. I still run. I still exercise. I have three kids. I've got, you know, this podcast, a job. It just takes a toll on me if I drink enough to feel good. And no I, I, I hear guys like you talking about the benefits of cannabis. I had John Sally on a little while ago. He played his NBA career, and he is a huge advocate of can- cannabis and the, the effects on the body. And I think to myself, it's something I should do more of, but yet I can't find that sweet spot where I don't feel anxious or I don't fall asleep. Yeah, I know how it is, man. Yeah, that's perfect. Speaking of cannabis, this is the coolest thing. Like, so you're you're a mesmerizing guy, NFL player, very at peace with yourself. <laughs> you also co-host this podcast with Mike Tyson called Hot Boxing. Now, yeah. this podcast is fucking unbelievable. The guests you've had, <laughs> when I say like you've had the creme de la creme of guests, I'm underselling creme de la creme. Everyone from uh, you've had Eminem, you've had Damon, uh, what's his name, from Shark Tank. Damon was on there. You've had, I mean, it's just, Jimmy Kimmel was on there. It's amazing. You've had NBA players, Tony Robbins. I mean, how do you get that guy in a room? He's so busy, he doesn't have time to eat. (laughs) Well, everybody wants to come and hang out with Mike, man. I wow. So how did you hook up with him? Like what's your relationship with Mike Tyson? Uh well, I got a call. Oh wow, that's crazy. I was just looking at I'm looking at Hotboxing on YouTube and I'm seeing some of the it's amazing how many views we've gotten on these episodes. It's pretty I'm super humbled by it. This whole experience, honestly, it's been. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, like I'm a huge Eminem fan and I've heard interviews with Eminem. And for the most part, Eminem isn't 
what we talk in the radio business, we call them good talkers or willing participants. Like this conversation I've had with you today, you're a great talker. You're a willing participant. This has been a good conversation. Eminem doesn't always come across that way, but in the hot boxing interview with you and and Tyson, he's in, he's engaged. He's entertaining. He's telling stories. It's like you guys bring out a whole other side of these guys. It's incredible. The guest list, yeah. no 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 doubt, is unbelievable. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I got connected to Mike through cannabis. And funny enough, it was one of my former NFL team doctors. He called me up one day and said, Eb, I've been following you. This was back in 2017. So I'm just in my third year out of the league. I get a call from him and he says, Eb, I've been watching everything you're doing in cannabis advocacy. I think it's incredible. Um, uh, it feels like you're really one of the, the guys to to lead this movement. And I'm, I'm coming out to Los Angeles next week for a cannabis and medicine, cannabis as medicine summit hosted by Mike Tyson and his cannabis company. And I want to introduce you to his people. And I said, okay, because he's like, you should be at this thing. You should, you should speak at it. I said, all right, man, that sounds cool. And at the time I had been to a lot of cannabis conferences. I'd met to my knowledge, all the big dogs in the space, the med men's, the, candescent these these sort of juggernauts of the early cannabis industry which even at this point has evolved and shifted and changed um but so i get a phone call sorry my dog is barking um (laughs) so i get a phone call from him and he wants to introduce me to them he puts me in touch with mike's business partners and they say ed we got to put on this cannabis and sports summit uh, in the next. Uh, we got to put on this cannabis and business sports summit next week. I have no idea what I'm doing. You seem to be the guy to help do that, or you seem to be the guy that knows what he's doing when it comes to that. Can you help me put on this panel? <laughs> I say, sure, man. So I get introduced to Mike. Mike is. He, you know, he's coming into the office or they say, Ed, we need you to come into the office and tell everybody about, you know, what this, what this panel is going to be on cannabis and sports. And I say, sure, man. You know, I've been around the country doing these things. I've started this organization, Athletes for Care. So I've got a great network of people that can come and talk and I can bring them in. So I come into Mike's office. I hadn't met him yet. Um, and I, I talked to his entire team, the Tyson ranch team about what this panel is going to be. I drop a whole presentation. I give them the list of athletes and neuroscientists and team, team owners and coaches that are going to come and participate in this panel. Um, and all of a sudden the, the room gets really quiet and there's sort of these whispers like, Hey, Mike's here, Mike's here. And I'm like, oh, fuck, Mike Tyson's about to walk in the room. And Mike comes in, and he's like meeting Hercules or something. He's a demigod, you know. He's got this 
aura around him and the legend and the mythology. And he's been to the pits of hell and tops of mountains. And, you know, he's people really hold him in this reverence. And I didn't really know what to expect, <laughs> you know. And so I, I come up to him and say, hey, Mike, I'm Evan. And he gives me a hug. And I was just overcome by his humility and his heart. You know, and at that time he was still very much, he was shrouded in this, this layer of darkness. You know, he had, he was not in a great place, um, which I could totally relate to. You know, he was surrounded by people who were constantly trying to get something from him. He was exhausted. He was very much subject to his vices at the time. Um, you know, and so... I helped him put on this cannabis summit, brought in a bunch of NFL, NHL, UFC fighters. Uh, I hosted it. Mike, I was really the MC while Mike was the host. We put on this event and coming out of that, it was a, it was a tremendous event. We got, we had a lot of success. We filmed it and turned it into this great, uh, educational piece for his company. Uh, there was a ton of media there, et cetera. And they said, Eb, we love your energy. We love your vibe. We just want you to stick around here. We don't know what you're going to do yet, but we'll pay you and we'd like you to come here and come just be around this place. And I said, sure, that's great, Em. You know, I like the people. I felt like they were on this an aligned path and mission as I was. Um, so I started showing up. At the time, I had another podcast with a guy named Nate Jackson, who's another former NFL player. Uh, he was one of my my mentors in life coming out coming out of the NFL. Uh, he's a if you haven't read Slow Getting Up, it's his first book. It's a tremendous story of life in the NFL. He's a New York Times bestselling author. We had this podcast called Caveman Poet Society. And so with that knowledge, uh, Mike and his team said, Ed, we want to start up our own podcast. Can you help us do that? We'll build you a studio. You can record your podcast here. Help us record this podcast. And I said, sure. And so it, it all started coming together. It was a little, it was difficult at first. Like I said, Mike was still very much in this dark place. But then our, the first episode of the true launch of hot boxing is with a shaman whose name is Dr. Jerry. And he facilitates five MEO DMT ceremonies. And so he came in and in an effort to perhaps save the company, Mike sat down to do a toad ceremony with him after this episode where they asked me to help convince Mike to do this thing. And if you don't really know much about DMT, it's five MEO DMT is called the God molecule. DMT is the spirit molecule. People have life changing experiences in these ceremonies. Uh, it is known to, cure all sorts of ailments, especially of the spirit, depression, addiction, psychological disorders. It, it relieves you of the trauma of your life. It shows you who you are and what you're doing here. And it releases you from the pain 
that you've been holding on to and carrying around with you. Um, and so it brings you a lot of peace. And so Mike did this ceremony. And from that point, that's really the starting point of the hot box series. And from there, it became this narrative arc of Mike going through his healing process, which I was very privileged and uh, honored to be a part of, you know, as I could sort of be a, a safe place for Mike to, to communicate with and to relate to. And I think that's where our relationship really gelled was that I always saw him as, as my brother, as, you know, a friend, as an equal and I never really put him on this pedestal like so many people do around him. It makes it really difficult to relate to him. And I just treated him like a human being. And we created this really incredible, interesting friendship, you know, where I think we helped each other tremendously along the way. And so um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus since COVID, but uh, I think we're looking to start recording again here pretty soon. But it's it's been, you know, every day I would come in there to record an episode and I'd sit down on the couch next to Mike and he's, you know, got a giant joint that he's smoking and he's like watching YouTube videos about uh, some, you know, National Geographic uh, discussion of the universe and how it functions or Alexander the Great or, you know, some ancient uh, mystic philosopher that he's watching. And it was really a fascinating time. Mike Tyson is very deep, uh, a very interesting and humble human being. And it was a huge learning experience for me. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing that hot boxing does. And I've 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 met Tyson personally. We had him in studio, but it, it didn't get deep. You know, it's one of those quick twenty minutes in the studio, twenty minutes yeah. out. You you don't get to really know anybody. But I've I've like I said, I've consumed hot boxing a bunch, and I've listened to Tyson on the Joe Rogan podcast. And you realize that he is a really deep spiritual man that has has some serious thoughts about life and it's refreshing to see that because unfortunately for him he's put in this box this this strong yeah. man beast of a man that that will crush you in under 90 seconds and does you don't expect him to to give put out such intellectual thought yeah exactly yeah wow exactly. well evan you've been awesome i've taken a lot of your time i've really enjoyed this conversation I thank you for doing it. Uh, if people want to consume more of your work, you can go to ebonbritton.com. You can check out Hotboxing. Like I said, the guests are tremendous. Eben has his own podcast, Eben Flow. You can find it anywhere uh, podcasts are found. Eben, you've been awesome, dude. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate it very much, Danny. The Armchair Nutritionist podcast is brought to you by Carol, the first interactive exercise bike powered by artificial intelligence to make fitness personalized, convenient, and effective. You can get an optimum workout in under nine minutes with only 40 seconds of hard work. Bring your own Carol home and discover the power of training on the world's only AI-powered exercise bike. Check out Carol's website, www.carolai.com. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I have many others, and there'll be many more to come. You can follow me on Twitter, at DZetterman. You can follow me on Instagram, 
I'm simply the armchair nutritionist on Instagram. Thank you for lending me your ears. Better, happier, more productive.